You're listening to Masters of Web 3, presented by Transac. Join your hosts, Sammy Start, Transac co-founder and CEO, and former CNBC money journalist, Megan DiMatteo, for an exclusive look into the stories behind the world's most well-known Web 3 startups. Each episode, we will interview the high-profile founders, developers, and innovators building the world's most widely adopted blockchain protocols. Hear the highs and lows they've experienced along their journey from the people behind the tech that's changing our world. Let's get into the show. Make it as easy as possible for mainstream users to buy crypto within your decentralized app or wallet. Onboard more users to crypto, handle higher transaction volumes, improve conversions, and increase revenue through a simple developer integration. To learn more, visit transac.com. That's T-R-A-N-S-A-K dot com. Okay, awesome. Hey, Mark. Hey, Megan. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. Mark Dawson is the co-founder of Quixotic, which is the first NFT marketplace for optimism, an Ethereum layer two scaling solution. And Mark, I did a little bit of background and dive, a deep dive into your background on LinkedIn. And I saw that you went to the University of uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and then that's where you studied computer science and econ. And then from there, you went on to Duke. What degree did you get at Duke? It was actually a special undergrad program where I um, lived at Duke for a semester during undergrad and took classes there. Um, Oh, nice. So it was kind of just part of my undergrad. Okay. So you just soaked up the the whole research triangle experience. You just exactly. went for it, both both yeah. of the, the top two. And then you found your way to LA and then that's where you kind of uh, found the music industry. And um, I'll kind of let you take it from here. Tell us a little bit about what led you to LA and eventually to blockchain. Yeah, I moved to Los Angeles in 2018 to join a startup. It was a medium-sized startup, about 150 people or so. And I was really following that job. I thought maybe I'd end up in SF, but um, came to LA. It was um, just a Web2 company. I was doing backend data engineering. And it was really fun uh, to join like a startup uh, with like 150 people. It's like, you know, everyone and it's still growing. um, So it's not giant. And I worked there for about two and a half years. And then in 2020, yeah, in 2020, it what is time? The, yeah, what is time? Yeah, kind of, it happened right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, it merged with another company. Um, so I got to go through the full life cycle of the startup uh, and stayed for about nine months working on like the technical part of like merging the code bases of the two companies and also the social part of integrating the two companies. And then I left in early 2021. Um, the company I joined is called Factual and it got merged with Foursquare, like the check-in app company. Um, and I left Foursquare. Yeah, I'm still around. <laughs> um, and uh, they, I left in 2021, um, just as like NFTs were getting started and um, decided, yeah, I left in January 2021. Okay. So this is, this is so interesting to me. There are so many things I want to ask you about. For starters, I lived in uh, Northern California for a year. And I understand like the tension of, do I pick SF or LA? Like it's a very real, it's a very real thing because, and this, I'm, this is leading us somewhere, I promise, because it gets into blockchain. Like, you know, in SF you have like in Silicon Valley, you have the more tech minded people in LA, you have kind of the more entertainment industry people and blockchain. I always say like in these interviews, blockchain is such a moment. Like this is such a blockchain web three moment because it really is, especially NFTs, the merging of tech and entertainment, tech and music, tech and art. And so um, I like, I don't know, do you, did you feel like at any point that you had to choose kind of one side of yourself or the other? And were you surprised that you wound up in LA? And, and looking back, do you kind of see it all as a full circle moment right now? Yeah, it was definitely unconventional. Um, most of my friends, especially from North Carolina, didn't move to LA. Um, I did move here with uh, one friend from college, and she's a filmmaker. So it was always fun to live with her. Um, and she did her creative stuff. And yeah, I think that's what like got me really excited about crypto is actually NFTs. So I think of crypto as like there's sort of different classes. So like every cycle brings in a group of people. 
Um, so there's like the 2013 people that came in during Bitcoin and the 2015 people that came in during Ethereum and then 2017 is ICOs, 2020 is like DeFi summer. And I'm sort of in this latest class of like NFTs. So I set up my MetaMask wallet, my first wallet to purchase an NFT on foundation. And it was like a one of one art piece. Um, and that was, and I had like bought crypto on centralized exchanges before, but that was when I really like got my web three set up going and understood how cool it was. And and you're an, you're a one of one supporter too, which I always appreciate because <laughs> um, like I go to these meetups here in New York for NFT enthusiasts and the la- I stopped going because the last one that I went to, they were talking about how the art has no function. function. It's all about utility and, and, and ROI, right? And I was like, no, like this is awful. This is the worst. I love that you're supporting one of one artists. Um, was that the appeal for you? Like, it, did you want to support the artists themselves or was it the fact that the art was so beautiful and you just wanted to own a piece of art like that or maybe a little bit of both? Yeah, it was actually back when Clubhouse was really popular. Um, yeah. Yeah. RIP. Uh, I'm like, it yeah. came and went so fast. <laughs> yeah. But I heard, um, yeah, there was like art, artist spaces, artist, uh, rooms on Clubhouse and I would join those and, People were saying like, go, go to foundation and look at my page and go to Rarible and look at my page. And, um, yeah, I, uh, was like excited about the artists who were like speaking in those clubhouse rooms. Um, and I remember when, um, people pleaser did her drop of the Uniswap V3 announcement on foundation. I thought that was really cool. It was like a celebration of the version three of the Uniswap protocol and you know people were so excited about that that they formed pleaser dow um to collect the piece and i thought it was crazy that uh yeah there there was like a really community oriented way artistic way to celebrate the launch of a protocol and that's when i got really excited about like community owned protocols and community owned art and how web3 lets you make strong guarantees about ownership in a really different way and how like at first that's a DeFi thing, but then that's like very quickly like a community and can be an art oriented thing too. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So you bought your first NFT and then at what point were you like, I want to go all in and make this my life. And like, did you feel like having worked at a startup, seen the whole cycle, like, did you feel like that emboldened you to say, I could do this myself and then therefore take the leap? Cause that's a Definitely. fast timeline. Yeah, I even in college I wanted to do something entrepreneurial, but I also felt that I didn't know <laughs> everything I needed to know in order to do that. And that's like the other great piece about a medium-sized startup is like people can teach you how it's done, but you're also scrappy enough that you can see how a small team could ship it. I think, you know, if you join like a giant tech company, uh that there's actually not a lot of skills that are applicable to startups because everything is so um, process oriented. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Facebook slash Meta is probably well. I, I'm cheating. I actually know somebody on the inside, <laughs> and from what I understand, that's kind of a, a tension right now that's happening in in that company because it's so large, and now they're essentially pivoting and going back to their startup days and and trying to you know infuse some of that startup energy into this rebrand. And it's a big institutional challenge. Um, yeah. Yeah. For a lot of the really like motivated people there, I think they're, it's, they're working it out. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And I think at those big companies, you also tend to specialize. So at right. Factual, which is the startup I joined, I was like a backend data engineer, but I'd also make dashboards and make, you know, front end apps and all these kinds of things. Um, and at like a larger company, you're much more focused. And at my current startup, uh, me and my co-founder do all the engineering, you know, so everything from back and front end, smart contracts, all of it. Yeah. Well, so tell us about your startup. We've gone 12 minutes so far without talking about it. Tell us about Quixotic and, um, and like, take us back to the origin story. Like, how did you meet your co-founder and how did you guys get it, get it rolling? How did you come up with the concept? Yeah. So me and Daniel met, in college, um, like in 2015, something like that. Um, okay. And what's Daniel's full name? Daniel Stratton. 
Yeah, okay. Daniel Stratton. Um, and he went to UNC with me. And he went to work at Google, actually, as a product manager um, after college. And I went to work at this company, Factual, as a backend engineer. And But we stayed friends. Uh, we had met in a computer science class. And yeah, we're friends throughout college. And uh, during the pandemic, I actually went and stayed in Berkeley for a little while because I was feeling uh, like I my room in LA was not very big. And um, I mm -hmm. knew there were some empty rooms in Berkeley because the college kids had gone away. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of yeah, had a little retreat. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, a lot of people tried to do that during the pandemic, my, myself included. And we um, basically, I pitched him on like, hey, crypto is really cool. The metaverse is really cool. At first, we were both more interested in like augmented reality, virtual reality. Um, and I had been doing a like coding retreat called Recurse Center, um, which is just like a program that developers join. It's like a community of developers. And I had been Is doing, it online or is it IRL? Like it was IRL in New York City, but yeah. then when I did it, it was online because of the pandemic. Um, so a lot of this, I guess, is like a backdrop. Like a lot of my, the founding story, and I guess a lot of the founding stories we'll probably hear for a while, the pandemic was a big backdrop for the whole thing. It caused yeah. a lot of change. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in ways that were favorable in your case. And, you know, it's like, I always think of, um, I forget the book, but where they talk about like Bill Gates had one of the first classes that had computers, you know, in like in history in the United States. And so like, you just look back on your life and you think about all these things that, seem like they were coincidental, but, um, yeah, like how fortunate that you were able to participate in this program, even at a distance. Yeah, exactly. Cause I probably wouldn't have gone to New York actually. Cause I lived in LA. I kind of built a life in LA. Right. And, right. um, and dirty yeah. Hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you pitched to your friend and your friend was like, cool. Like, like how, how did that conversation go? Um, yeah, he was really receptive. I mean, one funny thing is he sort of had like the best job, uh, you could get as like an undergrad in computer science. A lot of people want to be a, the product manager at Google. That's like, that's like winning the, <laughs> the game. Yeah. Um, the creme so, de la creme. Yeah. And, uh, so one thing that I thought was awesome about Daniel is he's very, um, entrepreneurial himself. And I think felt like he wanted to build something of his own and he was already working on apps in his free time uh while he was you know doing his full-time job which i always thought was impressive and um basically at the time i i pitched him on tools that help um people who already run like a community uh like make their communities web3 like so, and the idea was like fan cards a little bit um and the name was Fanbase. And the idea was like you can manage uh, your community with like NFTs instead of web to like email lists and stuff like that. Oh, interesting. That's actually, I think, like I want to hear about how your idea pivoted from the initial idea. But I actually think that's a super relevant conversation. And it's very insightful that you spotted that, um, you know, in 2021, because I'm seeing conversations like that pop up on Twitter. Now people are like, we need something other than discord because discord's a little weird and like confusing and uh, gamers are very familiar with it, but artists aren't necessarily familiar with it. And, um, and it's funny cause I was even like, I actually applied to get like a Twitter community page, which was a thing at some point, but then like it was like the day before Elon Musk announced that he was going to buy Twitter. And so now everybody's confused about their feelings on Twitter. Like I think everyone's looking for um, a decentralized or Web3 friendly place to gather um, that isn't super foreign, you know, to people. Right. Yeah, exactly. And there are a few ideas every cycle that are like clearly good, but hard to get right from a product point of view um yeah so yeah. like what are some Shop that you've seen yeah exactly so like shopify for nfts clearly a great idea like it should be really easy to set up your own nft page um and it's actually funny because eventually shopify announced that they're doing it um like so like literally shopify could be the shopify of nfts but 
Um, and good for them. <laughs> yeah. It helps to be a, a big web two company that you can with a lot of resources. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's sort of unclear like if they're gonna win or win that because like, there's so many other competitors. There's this category of decentralized social, so like the ability to like and comment on NFTs, and Showtime is probably the leader there. But there's a lot of other apps that are being built, and a lot of people are attempting to figure out how social fits into NFTs. Um, Did you see recently that Netflix um, just announced, what was it, Love and Robots? Is that the name of the show? Love, Death, Robots. Uh, Love, Death, Robots. Thank you. Yeah. And like they're doing NFT scavenger hunts. And I like the comments were so divided. Like some people were super excited about it and other people were like, no, they've gone to the dark side. So there's also like the community element too, like like familiarizing the people who are going to be engaging. I think with NFT artists and crypto native people, it's kind of a no-brainer. Like we're wanting those tools, but then to kind of make it more of a uh, mainstream experience, I guess. There's, I don't know. How long do you think it's going to take for that familiarization process to to occur? Yeah. So, um, I guess the spoiler is that like my company doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> uh, like we we don't do this these fan cards anymore. Um, it's okay. not called fan base. Um, and the reason for that is we tried it for a long time. And the conclusion was that it's, I think, crypto and Web3 communities are not yet ready for mainstream adoption. Yeah. Um, and Was uh, that and a can, sad realization to come to? Did it feel like you were kind of putting a, a nail in a coffin? No, I don't. It, to me, it wasn't sad at all. I think. Okay. I think I was excited about what we can build today. And and I also think, the and the way I saw a lot of people solving for that, like, so the problems with Web3 communities today are wallets are very hard to manage and set up. Um, gas fees can be very high if you're using Ethereum. Um, and, and also just unpredictable too. Like, and unpredictable, right? You never know. Like I was buying, I bought my first NFT a couple of weeks ago and I was like, do I put in double the amount of ETH for gas? Do I put in like a fraction of the amount of ETH for gas? You know, like how much ETH do I have to transfer over? Right. And it requires knowing kind of a lot about the protocol <laughs> um, just to interact with it. Um, and then there's like, the problem of sort of like displaying and curating all these NFTs and Web3 assets and like your Web3 identity and like if you lose a seed phrase. And so the way I saw, and then, you know, getting money into the system too through centralized exchanges was difficult for some people. And yes, but easier now thanks to Transac. Yeah, easier <laughs> thanks to Transac, yes. Shout um, out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... The way so I saw where did you see, yeah, yeah. So where did you see your entry point, like the next step for you then? Yeah, well, I saw some people solve these problems by trying to take kind of the crypto out of it. So um, there were some groups that would sort of like mint everything in one wallet and hold it on your behalf. Um, and you just set up like an email password account and that's how you manage your NFTs. Um, other And are people supposed to know that they have wallets or like it's kind of irrelevant. They right. don't need to know. They just have yeah. the user the user side of it, but they don't know the back end. Yeah, exactly. I think there's this take that like a blockchain is just a database and like you don't specify to your users whether you're using a Postgres database or a MySQL database. Um, but I actually I don't think that. <laughs> um, I I don't uh, I don't think a blockchain is just like a backend database, I think it's sort of a user-facing application, kind of like a browser, maybe. Um, so, like, do I know what browser I'm using? Yes. Do I know what blockchain I'm currently using? Like, yes. And that's sort of important. Yeah. Um, and you can, like, go into your history and see all of your browsing history if you want to, which I yeah. do sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also the part about, like, your assets traveling everywhere with you around the internet, like, when... Um, Someone on Twitter recently asked, like, what does Web3 mean to you? I think it was um, Kayvon, the founder of Foundation, asked, what does Web3 mean? And some people said connect wallet, <laughs> um, which is, like, pretty simple, instead of, like, a login and password. Other people said, like, your stuff moves with you with you all over the internet, or you really own your stuff. And yeah, to me, that... oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, so it's, like, your browser, but 
it doesn't matter. You can log on to it anywhere and the data is still there. It's not just specific to your computer. Yeah. And I think it's really important that your NFTs follow you around the internet. So when I buy an NFT, it's not only on the marketplace, but it's also on um, in my like rainbow wallet. It's also on like Showtime, my social app. It's also on, um, you know, all over the internet, like in discord, you can have collab land and token get it that way. And you can't do all these cool integrations if you don't have a wallet, for example. So if you abstract away the wallet too much, you lose all the cool interoperability that like the open protocols of web three give you. Um, so I think you're a step beyond me with NFTs. Like I I like have mine and they're in my wallet and, (laughs) and I actually just went to my NFTs have utility and I guess like, but I haven't used it yet because it's like I can I can go to like events and parties with it. But the last event that I went to, you didn't need this particular NFT to get into it. Like the tier was different. So I just kind of like had my phone and I was ready to show it to someone, but nobody asked for it. And I was like, okay, like <laughs> I was still waiting for my moment to use my NFTs. But um, somebody just offered to send me some wearables. So I was like, okay, maybe that'll be my opportunity then to actually interact with this thing and use it. And so it's not just sitting there. Yeah, and I'm and I'm excited for more of the NFT utility and more people to build things on top of NFTs. Um, and yeah, so and I, so, okay. this all connects. This all connects. Yeah, okay. To the so you decided yeah. you didn't want to do that path, which was just blockchain is just a database. People can buy NFTs with their credit cards and not ever use their wallets and not really ever know what they're doing. Like you were like, no, we're not doing that. So what what did you decide to do? Right. So I think the future of mass adoption for Web3 is like better wallets and better scaling solutions and like more user-friendly apps. But I think at the end of the day, it's really important that you still own your own assets. And so that uh, led me down the path of looking at scaling solutions for blockchains and like layer twos for Ethereum in particular. So I've always um i like first got into crypto i think it was ethereum that really got me into crypto as well not bitcoin and um so i looked at polygon because of the smart contract capabilities obviously and just like yeah the utility of it i'm assuming yeah and the developer community it's like really remarkable like i went to eth denver this past february and it was like the most enthusiastic developer community i've seen ever in my life um yeah, and the vision, I think, uh, uh, just, um, you know, I read the book, The Infinite Machine by Camilla Russo. Yes, um, I'm reading it now, and I'm actually going to be interviewing her soon. I'm very excited. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah so uh, I actually, when I was first getting into crypto, like really into learning about Ethereum and how it's founded and the protocol, I like tweeted at Camilla Russo and she replied and that like made my day. I like told all my friends. Yes. <laughs> um, I think she's super active on Twitter. And she just recently posted this photo caption contest with her handing the infinite machine to the Pope, which I just thought was the best image. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Oh, I love it. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like her book is so interesting because it's all, it, yeah, it's just about these early developers who had a vision and they followed it. Yeah. And I, I felt, um, that the layer two scaling solutions were closest to like the original Ethereum vision of like, um, like we're going to build like an open protocol that's like sort of a public good that's decentralized. And that led me to like layer two protocols like Optimism and Arbitrum and um, ZK Sync. And so now eventually, like what does my current company do? What is Quixotic? Quixotic is like the NFT marketplace for Optimism. So we were sort of, interested in building nfts on optimism but there was no marketplace and so we asked around and people i noticed that there's sort of an innovator's dilemma happening with a lot of really successful projects in crypto where like they sort of won um so they don't need to like innovate a ton so um uh but like because um like a lot of really popular protocols on layer one Ethereum, for example, are worth like, you know, billions of dollars, like Uniswap or or others. Um, and I'm not saying any of these protocols in particular is bad or, or anything, but like they're so successful with their current model 
that there's no, there's a lot of incentive to make sure that's like stable and not to experiment too much. Um, and with a lot of the marketplaces too, they have done so well with NFTs on Ethereum that even though users are feeling the pain of high gas fees and uncertainty, like you were saying, of how much you're going to pay in gas, there's not a big and and all the all the communities built on top of layer one Ethereum. Uh, even though a lot of users are getting left behind, they're doing so well that it's hard to justify pivoting away from that. Yeah, um, I, I yeah, I've noticed that too, and I think I might have even <laughs> been responsible or contributed to that tension a little bit as a member of the mainstream media because you know I've I've actually written articles like about the Ethereum merge or just you know just simple everyday explainers for like the kind of average American consumer that's just getting into crypto for the first time, and um, that's all people want to hear about, and that's all editors want people to write about and that's all that's all like I felt like I was covering and for a long time was Ethereum 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 and because the community is so strong rightfully so and um you know what they're building is really amazing but I definitely see that I definitely understand that um and even from like a financial planning point of view financial planners are saying like telling people to not invest in anything else other than Ethereum because there's no point yeah um and I uh, I love Ethereum too. Like it's what got me into it. It was like reading articles, you know, probably like the ones you're writing that made me so excited about it. But um, I was like, well, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. This is a great opportunity to build the future. And um, I do think of layer twos as part of Ethereum. They most like Arbitrum and Optimism. You still use ETH to pay gas. You still use MetaMask. You still use EtherScan. You still use like, it's the same uh, smart contract platform. EVM. That is a really interesting point. So like, yeah, tell me a little bit about like the thought process that you had to go through in order to decide, am I going to do layer two? Am I going to do layer one? And why? Because I feel like once you pick a side, you have to really commit to it. And we're in a bit of a, not to be dramatic, but you know, it's a bit of a race right now to see like, is there going to be an Ethereum killer, right? (laughs) Spoken like a true, you know, journalist making a, a snappy headline. But yeah, like, is there going to be an Ethereum killer? And if you pick, you know, do you, you want to make sure you pick the right one? Or you, at least you want to pick an ecosystem that's going to be long lasting um, and that, that has legs and, you know, it, yeah, is something that you really um, believe in and can, and can invest all of your resources into and your time. So tell me a little bit about that thought process. Yeah. And I'll say that's particularly important, the stability for artists. Like when we talk to some artists, they say like, I want my NFT to be on a chain that's going to be around in a hundred years. And I'm like, well, you, yeah, you should probably pick Ethereum because <laughs> mm. <laughs> like that seems the most likely. Uh, so you've actually told people that like, and moved them away from optimism or in that, in that scenario, do you say come to us because we're a layer two and we're on, we're technically on Ethereum? Yeah. So, um, I'll always tell people like uh, to pick Ethereum if they value stability and certainty and like we'll be around in a hundred years because, and, and it'll just continue to go up in price um, like the gas fees and it'll like usability will be degraded, but like Ethereum layer one is optimized for reliability and stability. Like that is its number one goal. It's like the global settlement layer. So if that's your goal, Ethereum is a good home for you. Um, I will, and it's not so cost prohibitive right now that like there you can still get in, in, in the, at this stage. Yeah, you can still get in for sure. Um, now, I will say, a lot of people um, just want like a big market, like uh, like where a lot of people are trading, and that is Ethereum today. But I think in the future there will be much more transacting on layer twos, like Optimism, for example. So if your interest is in like trading, uh, being like cheap to users, being fast, being like more future oriented, that I think is a really good use case for layer twos um, like Optimism. And basically our goal at Quixotic is to build infrastructure for people trying to move on to more like future oriented applications um, that are cheaper and faster. And the way I, I think about it is sort of the pitch for Optimism is it's, you know, like 100 times cheaper and 100 times faster than L1 Ethereum. And that sounds sort of like a difference in degree, but it's actually a difference in like what you can, it's like a qualitative difference completely. Um, and the way I say it is like a car and a plane both 
our modes of transportation. But if if I have an airplane available to me, I'm taking completely different trips than if I only had a car available to me. Um, so like new trips are possible that would not have been possible before. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so if you're trying to do anything really interesting on chain and it, and in a really decentralized way, because the other trend about layer one Ethereum is people will build things on chain and then start to move that off chain. So if you're building a community that does voting, a lot of them began voting on chain and then slowly started to move that off chain because it became too expensive. And to me, that is a really big bummer and it would be better to pick a layer two, even though uh, it's not like hundred years, like going to for sure exist in a hundred years. Um, and I think layer two is well, but it's like, which like, so you're, you're sort of giving up on the reliability of Ethereum by moving it off chain into web two systems. So I think layer twos present like a really attractive option for people to still do things in an open decentralized way. Um, that is a really great perspective. That makes a lot of sense to me. Can you talk a little bit about, well, I, so I actually want to, I want to find out about how you met the folks from optimism and what your relationship was like there and what the process was like to uh, join forces, I suppose. Like, um, I want to talk a little bit about that. But one more question on the voting thing. Can you just talk a little bit about the difference between decentralized voting and voting on a Web2 platform? Can you just give us like uh, some examples of like, you know, tangible examples of what that looks like, you know, are people voting in discord channels with like their emojis for the layer, you know, for the non-chain version or, and then how is that actually like translating to voting on chain? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, there's a lot of like, <laughs> you're exactly right that there's a lot of uh, voting with emojis in discord. Um, there's <laughs> Which I kind of love to be honest, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's like a, a game called feudals that was on layer one ethereum where you had a a feudal uh person and they would like have animals and they would like farm the animals and they could battle orcs and stuff oh, and cool. yeah and it was fun and it was originally all on chain um but then it became very expensive so they started moving it off chain and keeping it in like a just normal web2 database and then eventually almost the entire game was off chain. And the only thing that was happening on chain was like trading the NFTs themselves. Oh and my gosh. Wait, so when you say database, like Google Sheets? Yeah, or just like a Postgres database. I don't know exactly what they're using, but. And okay, what's so important. You're a developer, about... so you have more sophisticated. Like, <laughs> database for you is different than database for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, okay. So some yeah. kind of proprietary database, but just on web too, not reported mm. on chain. Right. And what's important is that that means it's like closed. So if it's if you're voting on chain, you can see what everyone is doing and anyone can build their own front end over it. So even if the original developers leave or there's a fight with them, you still have all the records in public and anyone can build their own front end and the community can still see and own what's happening. Versus and when if people are voting, are they like are they like burning NFTs in order to get new NFTs, like those kinds of transactions? So there is value being exchanged just from the just from the transaction. Um, they could be exchanging tokens, but they could also just be calling like they they could also just be like sending messages to smart contracts, and um, uh, and th that could cost still thirty bucks on layer one Ethereum just to you know just uh, not even to mint anything, just to like cast your vote on something. Um, because of gas, right? And it just, and it, it's gotten better lately, but in late 2021, it was, you know, really expensive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, that's really fascinating. So if you're like an artist um, and your goal is to create a really engaged community that is, you know, that is voting a lot, or even if you're like a proto DAO trying to turn into a DAO one day, then like you should really consider layer twos. Yeah, and probably the biggest example of moving something off layer one ethereum is uh axe infinity so they like made their own chain called ronin um that i think is like probably not very decentralized um yeah. and uh it's certainly less decentralized. well it just got ethereum. hacked right and there's like security concerns and um yeah to me the future i think is not it's not good to build your own 
it's it's a really big commitment to build your own chain or own system. Um, so that's why I think we as a ecosystem and a community and as the Ethereum community need to lift up layer twos. And that is the Ethereum Foundation's position as well. Um, if you go to the Ethereum website, the roadmap, the plan is to support layer twos as the future. Um, but yeah, we basically at my company, Quixotic, saw just the missing voting block that was like a really high quality NFT marketplace. And so that's what we created in, in late 2021. And so how did you choose Optimism? And did you have personal relationships there? Like what was the, what was the appeal? Because I've been, I've, been, I've been asking myself that question a lot the more that I cover blockchain. I'm like, how, it's like, sometimes it feels like comparing apples to apples a little bit with these layer twos. So what was it that was like the appeal for you? I met Optimism at the ETH Global Scaling Ethereum Hackathon in March, 2021. So actually before even starting a company at all, and they had <laughs> uh, this like really funny video, like all these companies who are sponsoring, it's called Scaling Ethereum. So it's all these like layer twos um, and other scaling solutions like sidechains. And the optimism video was like someone had shot it on their iPhone and it was just like a bunch of sort of crazy people explaining how they're going to build this like utopia of public goods and their protocol is going to not be owned by like a private company, but like by the community and the people who created Optimism have been longtime Ethereans um, and like were presenting at, you know, uh, DevCon like one, um, some of the earliest conferences in Ethereum about how to scale, scale Ethereum, how to scale Uniswap was like the killer app originally. Um, and it was, they created a scalable version of Uniswap called Unipig, um, which was funny. <laughs> and, uh, and they actually had their roots as a nonprofit called Plasma Group when they're exploring a technology called Plasma. And overall, they just kind of embodied like a, a as the name might imply, um, like a young idealistic group of hackers. And they seem to be really like hacker oriented and, um, they also seem to, similar to Ethereum, I think when Ethereum was being founded, the goal was not to follow in the footsteps of anyone except maybe like Bitcoin. But like it, they weren't trying, I think at least like Vitalik, for example, wasn't trying to create the next Google. Um, and it seemed like Optimism wasn't trying to create. Um, it, it seemed like they just like were earnestly trying to scale Ethereum so it could reach like the next 100 million people. Um, and uh, it was interesting to me that they weren't a private company. They were like a public benefit corporation. Um, and so I noticed when they launched their mainnet version, um, it was originally closed, but like you, you just fill out a Google form and then deploy smart contracts. And some people had started deploying, like there are two NFT projects that had been deployed. And I hopped into discord and bought one. Uh, it's like an OptiPunk, which is like a CryptoPunk derivative on Optimism. And there was no marketplace. So I had to like send the person some like optimistic ETH mm. and they had to send me the NFT back and it was just in Discord. And um, do you remember the price of Optimism ETH at that at that mo- moment? Um, so uh, for for the listeners out there, optimistic ETH is the same price as ETH. And at that time, okay. it was probably like 3000. Um, but it's like pegged one to one with ETH. Um, okay. Okay. And, cool. And, uh, yeah, so, but I didn't have a close relationship. I'd met one of the co-founders of optimism at the scaling Ethereum hackathon, but we just talked once, but I was like, yeah, let's try to prototype, prototype a marketplace. So around Thanksgiving in 2021, I started, um, thinking about how to prototype it. And then me and Daniel put together a prototype and emailed it to them a couple weeks later. And we thought maybe they wouldn't reply because they're so busy, but they were really excited. Um, and we launched the marketplace in December, December 20th, 2021. So like five days before Christmas. So that was kind of crazy. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I specifically, I, so I met like a, an NFT lawyer right around the time of NFT NYC last year. And he was trying to convince his 
um, clients not to do that, <laughs> like not to launch during the holidays. I don't know if it was because of his schedule or because he didn't think it would work, but either way, I mean, I feel like there was so much hype at that point that like holidays, what, what are the holidays? You know what I mean? It was like the hype was there. The euphoria was there. Like the enthusiasm was there. So you just kind of went with that momentum. Yeah. At the time we were really worried that someone else was going to release one before mm. us. So so how much does FOMO like play into your decision when you're a founder in Web3? I do think there's like a strong first mover advantage. Um, okay. I yeah. like how you, refra- you reframed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but it I'm is sure true. you've had to kind of like reframe a lot in your mind though, so that you can just like keep, I don't know. Is that like one of the, mo- the, the mantras that you tell yourself? <laughs> First mover advantage. <laughs> it's all going to be worth it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope so. Um, yeah. But like, I think it's interesting. Magic Eden was a salon NFT marketplace and they're one of the first really high quality salon NFT marketplaces. And they really captured that market and OpenSea is at its Solana, but Magic Eden still has 90% market share in the Solana ecosystem. And I think it's because they moved first and built a great product and um, created ties in the Solana ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, so I'm starting to understand your thought process now a little bit. Like you're like, okay, there's this niche that needs to be filled. How can I, how can I, like an easy way to distinguish yourself from all of the other NFT marketplaces is to pick a layer two that doesn't have a fully scaled marketplace yet. Yeah, exactly. And there is no, no place to trade them. Like we were, there is a discord channel in the Optipunk discord server called like maybe one day there will be a marketplace and that's where people <laughs> would post like prices and like try to just do over-the-counter trades like how oh much do God, you want I for love this it. Um, <laughs> and so there was literally not a place to do it um and so when we launched we tried to do it quietly we didn't do any marketing we just sort of like dropped the link and then we had um you know like 100 trades in the first day um and wow. yeah, we're trying trying to do like a very soft launch. Um, and and why did just... you go that route? Were, were you just like looking for the opportunity to, to continue to kind of uh, iterate if you needed to? Or like, like, did you just start to want to get feedback? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we decided to launch with the most basic version we could. So the very first version, like Optipunks and Optimistic Bunnies are the two NFT collections that were biggest at the time and those were the only two collections you could trade and you couldn't make offers and there are no auctions so you could just list it for sale and since we've added like auctions and all the all the other cool stuff but at the time we were like okay let's just ship the most basic version and see if people like it and uh yeah it was really exciting Um, so tell me a little bit about like what was going on i guess in your professional slash personal life at this time like did you were did you had you both quit your jobs at this point like or was this still a project like kind of align those timelines for me um because i'm thinking of developers who are out there who probably have amazing ideas and they're trying to kind of time time it right you know like how do you balance all of that yeah daniel and i both quit our jobs in early 2021 and started this nft company and throughout 2021 tried different NFT projects. So we had something called NFT postcards where you could like mint a postcard and send it. We had an NFT calendar where you could see calendar like drops coming up. We, yeah, we created a community called Music Fund that gave grants to artists. Um, And the theme we kept seeing come up was that the gas fees were really painful for users. And it was really hard to build anything that was not speculation based. So if it's not about like, speculative trading, it was hard to justify the gas fees. And so we had gone to NFT NYC in November, 2021, and that was really fun, but it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, and we were sort of, at that time, it did feel like the PFP craze was maybe winding at, at the time, it felt like it was winding down, but then projects kept coming, which is funny. Like, there are still so many great projects that were released in 2022. But at that time, we were sort of like the PFP craze. How long can this last? Um, we thought about it for sure. I think we were really interested in, like, 
utility-based NFTs and specifically like on-chain utility. And that seemed not possible in layer one because of the high gas fees. Um, so doing anything besides trading, yeah, just didn't seem worth it. And so that's when we really started to explore. And I looked at all the different low fee options. So we looked at Polygon, we looked at Solana, and we looked at layer twos like Optimism. And then we decided, I kind of felt that I didn't want to build not on Ethereum, but layer twos weren't ready. And then that's when we that's when we went for it. And we put the whole marketplace together really quickly. So just in like a few weeks um, for the prototype. Yeah. And so it was about a year from like quitting your jobs and going all in to like really finding your opening. Like yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think we started from a more web two place. And then like as that year of 2021 went on, and uh, yeah, it was about eight months from like April to December when we launched Quixotic that we were trying all these different crypto things. Um, I like slowly became like more of a crypto native person, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it creeps up on you, doesn't it? Like I'm going through a kind of a similar thing with uh, journalism. Like the more that I interview people like yourself, I go back to my editors and they'll say things like, can you just summarize Web3 in about five words? And I'm like, oh how do I do this? Like, how do I translate? It's hard to translate. And you also just get sucked in. Like, it's just so interesting, you know? Mm -hmm. And also I found that like optimism didn't have an NFT marketplace, but they already had like a really enthusiastic NFT community despite not having a marketplace. And I find where a lot of people are saying we're in a bear market now. That's actually totally fine if you're in crypto native communities, because they're not going anywhere. Like for Quixotic, we're actually seeing more activity than ever. And it's funny because today, as we're recording, is the OP token dropping. Um, so people are playing Oh, wow. There. Yeah. Congratulations. Do you want to talk a yeah. little bit about that? Like, what? what tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. So Optimism is issuing a token, a governance token for how to govern the protocol. And it's very similar to the okay. ENS token drop, if, um, if you were part of that. Um, I was not. Tell us about that. Um, so if you had made a .eth name before mid-2021, you got a bunch of ENS tokens airdropped to you. Oh, cool. And, Wait, on OpenSea or on Twitter? or how? Um, so if you go to ens.domains, you can get like the .eth ah, name. And if you had registered, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, and if you had registered the .eth name there, you're, you got uh, the ENS okay. token. And um, it was a huge Thank deal. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, uh, no worries. It was a huge deal, though, because it was like a really big airdrop that for a lot of people was completely unexpected. Um, and it's a governance token. So for to govern how the ENS names should work in the future, what they should be priced at and what schedule wow. they should expire on. So I the, love that. Like a decentralized GoDaddy. Exactly. Yeah. And so the OP token is very similar. So it's for governing the optimism protocol and it's a huge step towards community ownership and towards progressive decentralization so right now optimism is developed by a core team but the goal of course is to eventually turn it over to the community and let anyone run a node participate in governance participate as fully as they want to and so this token Amazing. drop is a huge step towards that yeah and that's actually well, thank you for giving us today. your time like on the day of the drop like when when is the drop happening has it happened already like what's what's yeah. happening what's going on yeah yeah i mean it opened like three hours ago so um yeah and if you had used optimism or um donated uh, to like gitcoin grants or used a multi-sig wallet on layer one there's like a few different eligibility criteria that shows like you're maybe a sort of someone who uses a lot of these protocols then you get a bunch of OP tokens uh, just for having used the protocols. Um, now, how did you uh, come up with that list of qualifiers? So that was created by, I, I don't know who at the OP Optimism team decided uh, that was the list. Um, but I think it was to reward people who were behaving in ways that they wanted those people to have say over the governance of the protocol. So like if you're using optimism, if you're using um, these multi-sig wallets, that means you're, you're working on teams. 
Um, if you're donating to Gitcoin grants, that means you're excited about public goods funding. And so, yeah. That's amazing. That's so cool. Well, we are kind of nearing our, our close. Like I want to turn over the mic. To, I mean, you've given us so much information and you've told us so much, but is there anything else that you want to add before we close? I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to say it. Thanks so much, Megan. Yeah, I think maybe I'll just end on the note about the market conditions and say that like, yeah, we're, uh, I, I, hear, I hear people say build the dip. Um, and that's like what we're planning on doing. And I think layer twos are the future and for, it's like never been a better time to be a developer actually. Um, and so for developers out there, I would encourage them to check out layer twos, try to do something really creative, um, with your smart contracts, gas is cheaper than it was before. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I never been a better time to build. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's so helpful. And it, it feeds into the very last question that I try to ask people. I don't ask everybody, but um, how does someone become the next master of Web3? <laughs> if that is their aspiration, what quality must they have? Yeah, I think what has made me successful so far is really listening and deeply engaging with communities that I think are cool for a long time and then when it feels right to try and step into a leadership role um so if you want to do nfts join some discords uh join some nft communities figure out what's working over there um if you want to be a smart contract developer read on github all the different smart contracts out there um join developer dao join either not dao um yeah just uh try to soak it up as much as possible and then um, the word I was ready. thinking was immersion. And right as you said, soak, I was thinking immersion. So <laughs> two good visuals right there. Um, just immerse yourself and then become one with the community and soak it all up. I love that. Cool. Well, thank you so much. This was a really great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, I learned a lot. Um, I like I've decided to stop being embarrassed about not knowing everything because it's like every every time I have a conversation with people, it's like you, there's just so much to learn. And um, I appreciate your generosity and your time, especially on the day of your drop. Um, <laughs> we'll definitely let you go get back to that. And I wish you like all of the success um, and let us know how it goes. And maybe we can have you back and you can give us a positive update. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Megan. It was great to be here. Likewise. You've been listening to Masters of Web3, a Transac podcast. Stay connected with us by subscribing to the show, giving us a review, and sharing this episode with one of your friends on Twitter. We know you hang out there. <laughs> if you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us to keep delivering the best and latest stories on blockchain technology right to your ears. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this has been Masters of Web3. 